Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daney. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So, go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. Emil Heskey's autobiography may be called Even Heskey Scored. In fact, stop, strike that. It is called Even Heskey Scored. It's a sardonic title aimed at taking the piss out of those who take the piss out of him for his scoring record as a professional footballer, which was brilliant, and the fact that somebody once described the 5-1 when England scored or Germany in Munich with the Even Heskey Scored. This is the story of a man who's now got alternative titles for his book, the big interview drew out of him. Can they cope with me? Just give me the ball. Emil's intelligent, articulate, interesting. And he'll tell you whether Martin O'Neill ever made him cry. He'll tell you the tricks players invoked in order not to have the stinking, swear word covered yellow jersey in training. He'll talk about finals of the League Cup in four different stadia. Trivia fans, get ready. This is a bright, confident footballer who's had to deal with terrible, racist abuse throughout his life but has excellent, forthright, modern solutions to the problem. This is the big interview with Emil Heskey. Jointly, we score big time. The life I lead is very privileged. Hello, listeners. Out the window right now, I can see um, rhododendrons, a beautiful rolling garden coming down to... It's not Babylon, we're in its elderly edge. And by his own admission, we're with, well, we're with somebody who described himself as a strange person. No, he's not. That's not what he's famous <laughs> for. We're with the brilliant, very interesting Emil Heskey. 
And as I say to all my guests, thank you for being generous, generous enough to take time in your schedule to no come and talk to a weirdo yeah. like me on the big interview. Thank no you very problem, much. The reason I know, because I didn't know until very recently that you describe yourself as a strange person, you say, I really am. Mm-hmm. And you say it for a particular reason, because although you were successful, characterful, resourceful, intelligent in your chosen career, mm-hmm. Emily, you said that you... You talk about having to overcome mm-hmm. a sort of a shyness, mm-hmm. a reserve, which you would admit bears no relation to the guy we saw no. on the pitch, on the television. But for those who are about to hear about the brilliance of your sporting life, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that side of you and why you start a chapter in your book saying, <laughs> I'm a strange person, I really am. Not because when people come up to you in the street, they'll, they'll remember you for what they see you as on the television and on the thing. When people come up to me for the first time, especially when I was younger, it was like, who's this? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, I, I'm not used to people coming up to you and grabbing you unless they're your family or someone like that. So, and I, even then... You've done a double take there as if to say, yeah. whoa, what's going on? Yeah. A, a sort of... Because I was just shy, I was I, I, I was good. I'm sure about how to cope with yeah. that kind of interaction. Yeah, but football pitch is kind of a release from that. So it was just go oh, okay, go and express yourself. I'm good at that, so let me go and express myself. I was actually preferred running, preferred sprinting, up and down the schoolyard, just sprinting, picking on people to beat. Right, to beat to, I'll yeah. race you, I'll race you, I'll race I was you. Good. No one would beat me, so <laughs> that that was that. And then took it onto football, where we introduce a ball. Okay, I'm okay with that now. Let's go and try that. Really, really good. Got spotted. Rest is history. But going back to the other bit is, I wasn't necessarily comfortable being around people, um, apart from family and friends. Very shy. Underneath my mum all the time. So, yeah, it was... And people people might find that weird, but it's just different kids. I've got I've got kids now, and one is just... Outgoing, you've got to keep an eye on her 24-7. She'll just walk off. Um, we, we was recently in Italy, and she did it. And we're, like, looking, thinking, where she, and she just strolls back like nothing's happened. Happy and I, confident and relaxed. Yeah, nothing. I, I would never do that. No. And, and as you describe it, you come from a very characterful family. Mm-hmm. And let's say, although it might be false, I think it's often expected that you were one of a few sons, but a son's like the dad, and your dad was confident, outgoing, couldn't quite understand it. But it, uh, rather than a fearfulness, it, you also speak about you, you just having always been pretty happy in your own skin, yeah, pretty yeah, happy yeah. in your own character, in your yeah. own company. Yeah, yeah, I was... I was Which very, is a nice thing to be blessed with. Very, very happy. Um, again, people might find that strange. People might find it weird that you can just go and just sit there and sit there comfortably on your own and do something on your own, where other people like, need people around them yeah. to, to have a discussion. And it's a much be, worse... Curse not to be happy in your own head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because That's it, a really you, tough you, thing. Because as well, you're constantly um, relying on other people um, where I didn't necessarily need that. I could... Even with talent and athleticism, mm-hmm. football world is, is weird. It's outright idiosyncratic, eccentric. It, as much as it's full of wonderful people, it's full of idiots too. Mm-hmm. If you've got this instinctive reserve or shyness, you call it. Was that, did that become a barrier in any way? <clears throat> Probably off the pitch, yeah. But not on it. 
because I, I, I knew how to um, just just part everything and that was the easy part the football pitch <laughs> <laughs> the football pitch was the easy part the football pitch was no problem at all um, that was probably a release from a lot of things but the actual living a daily life and times as well was something that you you you're never taught you never yeah. know you're kind of thrown in the deep end I was 16 doing interviews, 17 doing big interviews, 18 on national TV. Liking it or not liking it? Not particularly, because it was out of my depth. Got used to it. Because you as well, you, you learn as well along, along the way. It's like a job, isn't it? You learn on, on the job, and so you're learning how to deal with certain things. Um, now they have media training. Yeah, media training. So it was, you learn on the job, don't you? So it was tough at times. But again, you, uh, I, I learnt along the way. And if you're shyer, though, because it's not a chronic thing, mm-hmm. but, it, but I, I am interested in the contrast that mm-hmm. you've even said it more clearly that the football side was easy, which for the rest of us we're pretty jealous of. <laughs> but if you're in a, a dressing room at any stage in your life and this shyness dissipates, full of really strong or noisy, vibrant or provocative characters... And you're tending to be quiet. And everybody knows you do your talking on the pitch. And everybody mm-hmm. respects you because you've got ability. But in a dressing room, to be a bit sh- quiet, not like now, let's say, mm-hmm. can also be a drawback because it can it can draw the idiots to you, or you can. I was lucky because I had talent. Yeah. Because they left me alone, kind of sense. But I could see. I, I know where you're going with this. Where you could be picked on for just being that quiet guy in the it can corner. Can be so, can't yeah. But I was lucky because I had talent and I was pro- producing. Um, it was all right, and yeah, Mill's there. That's fine. Um, he'll sit. He'll sit around us, but he won't really interact and stuff like that. And uh, they'll pro- we'll probably even touch on other things later, where things that happened abroad with with Leicester and stuff like that. I wasn't a, I wasn't even around. Mm-hmm. I was in my room mm-hmm. <laughs> when people are going crazy, doing all sorts of things, and 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 then I hear about it later. Mm. <laughs> I was I was around people, but I didn't really. Get involved in a lot of the. It's interesting that they afforded you that respect because even the best people in in sport, the ones who don't want to join in, they, they even without attracting bullying, it can be regarded as if that person doesn't want to join in with our pranks or, mm-hmm. or whatever, or a banter, whatever it is, that makes them different, and maybe we feel a bit challenged by that. Or it's it's not always that people accept the individual. That... I was young as well. I was only 16, uh, 17, 18. Mm-hmm. So it was... And so we at Leicester, we had... Uh, you have your first team change rooms and you have the youth team change mm-hmm. rooms. Youth and uh, reserves, younger pros. I was sitting with these, but playing with these. So I was a character in this one, which I was around my own surroundings and around my own age group. Yeah. But then I was playing with these and I would just sit in the corner and be quiet and... Maybe chime in there every now and again, but nothing major. What the, what the hell kind of good piece of luck was it that you were born in and around Leicester? Because you've lived through an era where Leicester's been the centre of English sporting excellence. Mm-hmm. Well, for, uh, for, um, for rugby. I mean, at that stage, they were, they were, maybe they were the best club side in the world. <laughs> in, in UK terms, they were practically unbeatable. They were ferocious <laughs> Brilliant to watch, brilliantly mm-hmm. supported. They, they were extraordinary. You, you were aware of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you got, you're living in Leicester. You can't not be aware of them. Yeah. They're the biggest... They were basically my new at the time. Yeah, yeah, they were. Of, uh, of rugby, and uh, they made it... They made football aware that 
that we were smaller than them. Oh yeah, yeah, everything was rugby in in Leicester. Most majority, of the, even when I went to school, it was well when I went to secondary school, it was rugby that we played first, mm-hmm. and then obviously we got used to have these big fields, and then you go and play football on your own kind of thing. Were you, you good at rugby? Yeah, didn't like it because. I tried. I had, a, I had a go, and I was okay because I was quick and I could move yeah. with the ball. And I could move, but winger, fullback. I think uh, just give me the ball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know? Listen, if it's not published, that might be a new sort of subtitle <laughs> to the front page of the Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> just give me the ball. Yeah. <laughs> um, Love it. But I, I, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, if the enjoyment's not there, yeah, probably it, it doesn't matter yeah. about how naturally athletic or talented yeah. you are. And, and, you know, ball to hand is very different than ball to feet. It's a completely different feeling. Yeah. I, I had a go at tennis. Not really great at that. Badminton I quite liked. Uh-huh. Um, so I had a go at every sport. Cricket? Your dad, your da- dad was a cricketer. Yeah. Uh, and it, because coming from the Caribbean, that is the number one sport. So you have to sit there, you have to watch, you go for if it. If we're talking about Leicester and Martin Johnson, yeah, if you go back to when I'm older than you, but you go back to that... You know, firing the hole, that Roberts and Marshall yeah. and, you know, Whispering Death and Holding and Greenwich and Haynes. So, and uh, Andy Roberts, I've got a picture with Andy Roberts as a, as a baby and he's, I'm on his knee. If anybody doesn't know, one of the world's great fast bowlers. Yeah. Back then, we had like a, uh, there was a lot of Antiguans in, in Leicester. So there was a big community and you play cricket every weekend down at a, a place called Crown Hills. It's a school down in, in predominantly uh, black area. Like an Asian area, play cricket there every weekend, and majority of the time we were just playing, messing about with the other kids and playing, but playing football. When everyone else was playing cricket, it wasn't a sport I was okay at, but uh, it wasn't a sport that I particularly wanted to take up. To be honest, it wasn't a sport that I say, yeah, let's go and play some cricket. No, I'd rather go and let's go and play some football. Was your dad good? Yeah, it was okay. I'm guessing. Okay, I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> Tyrone, I heard you were brilliant, actually. And you, were, and you got bored as well of that sport. It's, it just interests me because, it, it, you know, Leicester, I'm sure Leicester had Gower, and there was a stage when Leicester were also a good county side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the Midlands is... OK, H. Baston's not nice to but the Midlands is a, is a powerful place for cricket. I, yeah. I love my cricket. We happen to be in the middle of an Ashes series. It just never, like rugby, it never got its hooks into you as no, a sport no, at all. No, no, not at all, not at all. But yeah, we used to go every, every, especially summer, obviously summertime, play every weekend, Sunday, either go down to London, down here, play local sides. Yeah. You mentioned Antigua, but to, to what extent has your Caribbean ancestry, the, the music, the food, your visits there, as you look, now, as a fully formed adult, mm-hmm. successful career behind you, <coughs> what extent has that culture, those ideas, those people, shaped your success? Not just the guy you are now. What what influence has it had on the, the choices and the successes? Every everything. Um, well, I speak about it in the book as well. Um, everything I did, everything we did was British Caribbean. So Sunday, you'd think go for a regular Sunday roast, but we had Sunday dinner at home, uh, a Caribbean, some typical Caribbean Sunday. For example, it, it could it could vary. You'd have you'd have chicken, you'd have rice, you'd have your, your vegetables, you'd have dumplings, you'd have plantain, you'd have you'd have all sorts. That was a typical thing every Sunday, and we'd go to church first, back, and eat, 
then you might be able to go and play out. Mm. Everything around that was my, my upbringing. Everything was uh, the, the the Caribbean, typical Caribbean upbringing. And you touch on racism. Uh, we touch on racism in the book as well. Yeah. And you deal with it in a certain way. We knew that it was there. You don't... When it's a system, it's hard to fight it. But what can you do? You just get on with it. You know that you have to work harder in certain aspects, whether it be in your job, whether it be in your school, or whatever it is, you know that you have to work hard. On the streets sometimes too. Everywhere. Choices. Everything. Where to walk. When to walk. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It's, it's brutal that we have to even speak about that. Did you speak about it then? Was it was it, was it something that families had to share and talk about? You, or you you kind of instinctively know your family will you're guided by them as well. Hmm. So um, instinct they didn't necessarily need to say. Some did. You'll always have you'll always have classism. You'll always have uh, sexism. Well, when I say always, but it will be there, and it will be it it'll, it'll be tiered, and people will try and implement that to better themselves. Uh, I'll give you an example. We was away recently in, play, uh, in, in, in Italy. My daughter was just dancing there, and another girl, a white girl, came, uh, came across pretty much the same age, I'm guessing, and they just started dancing together, holding each other's hands. It was fine. There's no kids problem. kids don't, yeah, they they don't, don't think, have it, they don't, don't think. It's you, like... But again, you don't know what... Years later, after being in the system, what that child's going to be thinking uh, when they get older. Because it's in a system that you okay no uh, there's tears, oh no he's they're down there we can't talk to them we can't we can't socialise with them and mm. you don't know until you actually sat down and spoke to them you, the things you might have in common mm. you might gain a, a, another friend you don't know but you you because you've got tears and then you've got classism and then you've got racism it's all, it's all no one actually gets to know anyone until you encourage those who are letting it happen they aren't active participants in some form of racism, but they're allowing it to go. Unless you say to them, we're going to give you an incentive by punishing you that you will eradicate it, then it'll just drift. Again, it's not new to say punish. punish yeah. You talk about education as well. You, mm-hmm. you actually talk... And, and you talk about a, a, 
Now we're back to football, even though it's a societal yeah, problem. Yeah. You talk about a panel of people who can talk about this, who can, rather than, you know, a crowd of FA Blazers who are all, or predominantly white, who are all 50 and above and don't know about the problem. You'd like to see what exactly happening? Well, even the panel. You've got to have, you've got to have people who understand it, who have suffered. suffered. Yeah, who have suffered from it. Um, if you haven't suffered from something, how can you actually really understand what's going on? I spoke about it before with other people that um, I've been in airports where I've, I've sat down at the, the coffee shop. The only place to sit was the little bar, the little bar stool mm-hmm. that looks into the airport. So I, yeah. put, I sat down there, I put my bag here, there was a table behind me. They all got up and walked off, walked to the other side. Of the, well, first the, the woman grabbed her bag. And held it first and then moved to the other side of the uh, coffee shop. I knew what was going on, but to use, it might not look like anything. But I know what's going on. Because you suffered that, because people will perceive X just because of your skin colour. So in the book, which we'll talk about and we'll name, and which is very good, it's interesting, it's funny, it it also brings you into dressing rooms really well. You do that as well. (laughs) You talk about... Ridiculous things about like if you live in a nice area and you happen to be black or Asian, mm-hmm. you must be a sportsman. Yeah, because yeah. there's no other way, no other way. Yeah, yeah. that you could. Or maybe younger, you were approached and asked to if you had drugs simply because. Oh yeah, yeah. a black man in a, in a in a nightclub. That still, still happens now. So the, the the coffee shop is just another example yeah. of oh, we've been indoctrinated or we're stupid enough to go like. <laughs> that, think, that person's think, skin means yeah. my suitcase is under threat. There's no statistics that show that either, so I don't know where it's all come from. I don't know if it's just a scaremonger or just something that's uh, happened over years that people just feel that whenever they're around people of colour, mm-hmm. they have to be on their toes a little bit. I don't know because uh, I uh, no. I no, I'm you know I'm not asking you to be the the world's leading sociologist <laughs> unless. People like me, mm-hmm. who haven't had to suffer this, learn and talk about it and ask the people who might come up with solutions. And we're not going to do anything about it. No. Something seems to me to be sensible about the Rooney Rule, broadly. It seems, to, from my point of view, that if people in sport, we'll come to offices, but in sport, football, might be unaware that instinctively or subliminally, subconsciously, they're not giving people of colour mm-hmm. an opportunity, then it might not be active racism that's presenting black men and women progressing in sport mm-hmm. administratively or coaching or director or owner is a different thing because yeah, money, money talks. Yeah. If you give a person of any creed or colour the chance to sit across a desk, that you're in the problem. game. That, that, you're in yeah. the game yeah. about the person who's making the decision going, that person's perfect, fabulous, mm-hmm. or has got a chance. Mm-hmm. So the Rooney Rule I th- is I th- a step forward? I think it's definitely a step forward because it's not saying you must. No. It's just saying be open to the opportunity, to the, to the thought of having yeah. someone in there. Um, I, th- th- there's, there's players that have been that have sent uh, applications out for jobs and not had one player said 15. Not had one back. And I get it, you've got loads of people applying, but to have 15... And not have one back, well, and it seems a, it seems a common thing within the the we'll say BAME uh, applicants. But yeah, so it's, it's it's something that I think is possibly important because 
You're talking, it was brought out in America, right? Yes. So you're talking about a country that I would probably perceive as worse than here when it comes to that. It certainly seems so at the moment. But better when it comes to employment, Mm -hmm. when it comes to black employment, because they don't, as long as you can do the job, they don't care. Mm -hmm. They're not looking at that sort of things, you know. Uh, We we have big companies on in 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 uh, the UK uh, with you know big sports companies who have the television rights and stuff like that and they have the same over there but you could go over there and see a full crew of african americans where you would never ever see that here so the, the, explain for those who don't know the importance of 17 year old ml heskey or your or, or jaden or mm-hmm. whoever it might be mm-hmm. uh, a form of age going there's a person like me oh, on the television or on the radio or leading. Or... Aspire. You aspire to. I, I, I grew up watching, uh, you, you know, the, the likes of John Barnes, Viv Anderson, a good friend. You know, uh, Ian Wright was a special one for me. Obviously, they don't do it now. We used to have jobs for YTS. Me and my best friend, Owen Johnson, he's someplace for um, less than now. We, we, we were on something else. I can't even remember what we were on. But we, uh, Newcastle were playing. Andy Cole was at Newcastle. Newcastle were playing against uh, Leicester. He scored as well. He uh, he scored that day, and we were doing. I can't remember. We might have been in the home dressing room. We kicked them out. Of the, kicked the people out of the uh, of, of the uh, away dressing room. Told them they got to swap with us just so we can go and see Andy Cole. Brilliant. Yeah, we sat down with him, sweeping up, but looking at looking at him and that you know, them sort of things that were aspiring to be. And that, and the thing is as well, when you look at um, television. Mm-hmm. It's only, for us, it was only sports that you could look at and say, yeah, athletics. The only sport you could see 100 metres uh, final with eight black people running. Uh, so you're saying, OK, well, I want to be, I want to do that. Uh, look at that, look at him, I aspire to be him. Arsenal, in the 90s, right? When you had Paul Davis. six or seven black mm-hmm. players playing for them. Mm-hmm. You're like, wow, look at them. So who's the first black football you remember watching? Fifth? No. No, it would have probably been, it would have probably been John Barnes John. Uh, um, as well. You, you didn't have much football on television either, so <laughs> you got to remember True. that. But you're going off little little snippets you see everywhere and 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 hearing the name. And my 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 uncle was a big Liverpool fan, so you hear the name John Barnes and stuff like that. So yeah, um, they're the ones you you aspire to be. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm you're pretending to run around. I'm right footed, but pretending to run around like I'm left footed because of. John Barnes, but it helped anyway because you can get to use your left foot a little bit more. But little things like that. But now there's no real one that you can say, and there was no no one back then you could say I aspired to be. Trevor McDonald was the only one really, weren't there? And he doing doing certain things. To to my memory, yeah, I suppose it makes um, what Garth Crooks. Garth Crooks, yeah. It makes what Garth achieved stand out a huge, little bit. Huge, huge. And he's the only one. And again, you look at that. Is that just you know? Is that just ticking ticking box? Oh, we've done that one now, so. You, you talked about the area you grew up in, and one of the things that I'd like to believe unites us is that I'm mad passionate about the club I support, Aberdeen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I trundle on about them all the time in this series. Apart from Leicester being a place where you won trophies and won fame and presumably had an enjoyable career, I feel that you're left with a love for the club. I mean, not this instant, but broadly, you're a footballer who supports the club, or have I got that wrong? <clears throat> I was a Liverpool supporter, but when you go from age of nine all the way up till 22, it's, it's a club that is in your heart. Um, they gave me the opportunity. If like I say, 
before, even when I did uh, did what I did with the donation. Um, with, Th- with this is when the club was genuinely yeah. in jeopardy, right? Yeah, yeah not everyone will know this. Administration. So um, Gary Lineker was heading the consortium. Um, so I just felt that it was right for me to get involved as well because I'm from there. That's 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 me. Uh, everyone asks, oh yeah, yeah, I'm from Liverpool. Oh, I'm from Leicester. <laughs> everyone knows I'm from Leicester, and and that's where my heart is as a city. Mm-hmm. You know, so to have the club, the club that helped me get to where I was, is is going the way that it was going. It just wasn't didn't feel right. Didn't sit right. So it was a case of what could I do? How can I help? And that was the that was the way to 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 get on get involved with with that uh, consortium. And it was something that I would do again and again. I really respect that because in life, just in general, if you see something that you want or you don't like, you act. Mm-hmm. Not everybody does, no. but you should. So let's take this because we're talking about Leicester now. Mm-hmm. You scored a lot at Leicester. You're a very successful footballer. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. What's the title of your autobiography, Emil? Even Hesley scored. Why? That was the tongue-in-cheek with uh, with the five-one <laughs> for England and Germany. Yeah. And who did I mean? Who said it? A commentator or? Oh, it's 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 now an urban myth. Yeah, yeah. It, it was said. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so you you've used that cheekily, yeah, uh, because you're taking the piss out of somebody being as dopey as to say and even yeah. Look, the, the thing is. You, you, the, you, you've you've got the stats there, so you can actually see. Well, you can see how, how that I scored and and, uh, and how, what I what I achieved. But if you take if you if you go by what people say, it's like you've never you've never played football before. Leicester City, nineteen ninety four to two thousand, one hundred and eighty four appearances, forty six goals. Liverpool, two thousand to two thousand four, one hundred and seventy six appearances for Liverpool, forty seven. Uh, pardon me, sixty goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I counted before you sat down. In the region of nine trophies, I got, do you know what? Shearer I, got one. You know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not putting Alan Shearer down. No, we got the Premier League though. Nobody was saying, and, and and even Shearer scored. Yeah, yeah. But like, you nicked all these goals, trophies, success everywhere, respected and craved by managers and fellow pros. Mm-hmm. But there's this thing hanging over you, and you've been cheeky and named about that. Mm-hmm. They're cheeky to your detractors. Yeah. Yeah, look, you've got to. At times, you just got to take it, take the the, the rough with the smooth, smooth, and and have a little have a little joke with it. Bumped into a guy in the airport once. Started talking to me about football, blah blah. blah. He goes, "Yeah, but you didn't score many goals." And I goes, "Well, I scored over 100 in the Premier League." He went, "Did you?" <laughs> oh, I don't like football, I like rugby anyway. I was like, "What are you? <laughs> what are you talking? Why are you standing here talking shit to me?" <laughs> so, but that's. Perception. Perception, again. Mm. Ooh, this is becoming a theme about perception. <laughs> Give us the privilege, because apart from earning well, becoming famous, <laughs> and whatever else football brings you, you've got the great pl- privilege of having been inside the world that everybody listening to the series craves. Mm-hmm. We're all a little bit envious. So take us inside the, the training ground atmosphere. You've made it, you're there. I want to know... The training about... ground atmosphere is the best. That is where, even when people retire, that's the only bit they kind of, they miss. Being around lads that are your, that are your, more or less your own age, mm-hmm. and the banter that you get, the laughs that you get, it's just, it just feels fun all the time. Even pre-season, you're, you're half time, you're dying from doing the running, but you're still laughing, you're still joking. There's banter that you get that you, get, that you cannot take anywhere else, because you just won't understand it, and no. you might find it a little bit weird. <laughs> For example... 
If you want a clue, I'll give you a clue. Go on. Yellow jersey. Stinky yellow oh, jersey. But that's Explain fun. Explain that. So the yellow jersey is basically the worst player of the... I wouldn't say of the week, it was of that day. So we'd play it on Friday before the Saturday games, but... It's, it got too fierce in the end because no one wanted to win the yellow jersey because it's basically you nominate the worst player for that day. So you want to win the game first and then the winners nominate and then even the losers get to nominate as well. So you are you rubbish. But you do it. Uh, <laughs> ever. But it's, it's good fun. And then your name gets written on it. It doesn't get washed. Ever? No. So it stinks? Yeah. You really don't want that yellow no, jersey? No, 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 no. I don't think I got that, to be honest. I don't, we'll be contacting your fellow pros. Yeah, that, that, you, you know we will check that, this story. That, that, We're big fat checkers thing is, here. The thing is, it was, probably it was always, he did just it was always between <laughs> Steve Guppy... Name him. ...and Steve, Stevie Claridge. Marshall? Marshall as well. Maybe. But Marshall was great at deflecting. So Ian Marshall would, as soon as he comes on the training field, he'd be planting little seeds in people's heads. Oh, he's having a bad day, isn't he? <laughs> he's having, he is, isn't he? Yeah. So you've... Immediately onto him. Who he's playing with the mind. <laughs> but it was great. It was great fun. It was great fun. We used to play young v old. Mm-hmm. That was tough as well because you'd play with Steve, Steve Walsh up front, Matty Elliott up front, and Ian Marshall up front. They, all they'd do is just throw it into the box. Yeah. And who's going to win? <laughs> You're probably going to win most of the aerial challenges, I would have thought. Aye. And you would maybe get the odd elbow. Yeah. We, we've, in this series again, we, we're a and in a big interview with Suey and one with Terry Butcher, we asked him, asked him about playing, was it England v Scotland, mm-hmm. on the red ash, and I don't know if you've seen red ash, but it's like gravel, pitch, outside Ibrox, on a Friday before a Saturday game, the day before a big game, England v Scotland, and it was just all in. Yeah, and that was it, because no one wanted to lose. It was, it was pretty stupid, to be honest with you, because it, <laughs> no, because you, you, you'd, you'd, you'd want to really... You'll be winding down towards the end of the week because you want to get ready for the game. But this was the, this was the game everyone was, was looking forward to. So you'd be literally, no, you don't want to lose that game. One, you don't want to get yellow jersey. And two, you don't want them bragging all the week. No, you, so you, want, you focus on that one day, Friday. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson.